Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I am Danielle Tate, Maternal Medical Director of TIPQC. Our guest today is Dr. Howard Harrell, an OBGYN working in Greenville, Tennessee in the new ACOG League for Tennessee. Dr. Harrell, welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. Hello, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for joining us. My second time on the TIPQC podcast. Love it. Well, as we get started, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? How did you wind up as an OBGYN? But I think OB is a great field. Uh, I should ask you the same question, right? I think it's uh, it's one of the few specialties left where you really can have an opportunity, especially as a generalist, to provide really comprehensive care to people from mental health to spiritual health to physical health to whatever. And you get to operate some and whatever. So it's I think it's one of the last remaining real general specialties where you can impact a person's whole life. So I think that was my thought process back in med school. Yeah, very true. And to add on to that, I love the spectrum of care you can give patients. Yeah. And I always give the example of my mother's OBGYN who delivered me and saw her through a cancer scare, her hysterectomy, menopause, and then finally had to retire. My mom said, well, I guess I don't have to go to the doctor anymore. I said, that's not how it works. But that yeah. speaks volumes to the continuity that we have and the special moments we have with our patients. So I agree. I've, I've drunk the Kool-Aid. I'm all in. <laughs> all stages of life. Yeah. All stages of life. Exactly. So you are the new ACOG lead for Tennessee, as I mentioned. So congratulations to you. Uh, we do Thank appreciate you. you taking on that role and excited to see what is to come. What led you, I should say, to this position? Well, I was active in ACOG many years ago as a junior fellow. And a lot of I think a lot of the fellows who go down an officer pathway have that history. So as a resident, I got involved in ACOG and at many years ago was the Tennessee section chair for the junior fellows and then have have followed that pathway through and have served as the young physician representative for Tennessee over the time. And then we rotate through a series of four office positions over a two-year period. And so now it's my turn to be chair for the next couple of years. So I've been involved in ACOG for 20 years, I guess. Can you tell us about any new initiatives you're excited to implement here in the state? Yeah, I have, there's a lot of things we could talk about there, I think. You know, for, to, to open that up, I would point back to the last year because there was this thing that happened in, in post-Dobbs, Tennessee. Our activities for the last year have been more than entirely consumed with that, as you know, and as our listeners hopefully know. Things like even treatment of ectopic pregnancies and molar pregnancies became felonies in Tennessee. So we spent a lot of our time in in the last year or so working on that, and, and, and maybe to a degree to a neglect of other ongoing efforts that we should also focus on. But it's been a major problem for us. And, of course, the legislature has done a, a bit of a, a change to that and that we've uh, tried to take a leadership in. But 
that will continue having uh, a lot of our focus over the next year. And we could talk about that a little bit with some of the some of the other initiatives and how that affects some things like just recruiting and retaining doctors to this state and residents to the state and the jeopardy that some of our subspecialists, particularly maternal fetal medicine doctors, still find themselves in with some of the gray areas of the law. It clearly is a new new place compared to one year ago if you're practicing high-risk obstetrics or providing comprehensive care to, to women. So that will continue to be a major focus of ours and has been over the last year. But maybe to talk about other things that, that get that need as much attention. Uh, I, I've recently just led for the OB side of things, the optimal cord clamping project that's winding up. And I, I think that's been fantastic. I hope that we've had a tremendous impact on neonatal outcomes across the state and, and very excited to see what the data will show in the next couple of years in terms of the impact of that project on infant mortality. Of course, we started that project as a way of addressing Tennessee's already too high neonatal infant mortality rate and optimal cord clamping, especially for the smallest babies, has a very tremendous impact on saving those lives. The number needed to treat is really quite low compared to almost any other intervention, especially an intervention that's free and easy to do. So that's that's been exciting to see that come together and the thousands of babies' lives that we've touched over the last year or two. And time will tell if we've had that impact on infant mortality. But Another thing, though, about that project that's been exciting to a lot of us that have worked on it is that this collaboration across the state, it, you know, it's, it's fueled a lot of synergy between OBGYNs and the pediatricians and neonatologists across the state in our various birthing hospitals. So at ACOG, and I know at TIPQC, everybody's excited that that, that will be an opportunity to take advantage, you know, of this sort of newfound synergy in, in many different areas. So things like maximizing the golden hour for our newborns and making sure that everyone who can benefit from antenatal steroids is receiving them, clarifying how early and how late we want to give them and making sure that that's institutionalized across the state. And just seeing where the Tiniest Babies Program and some of the projects and initiatives there takes us. So I think that the Optimal Core Clamping Project, if anything, is a springboard to many opportunities for us to work more closely with our neonatologists and, and across the, the hospitals that participated in that, like I said, you've seen newfound companionship between neonatology and pediatricians and OBs that maybe wasn't as strong as it should have been. And uh, I think we've, we've learned from that project that there's some cultural silos in our hospitals that we need to overcome to try to implement these best practices. And, and culture change is hard, but I think with the optimal core clamping project, we've shown that it can be done. So I think there's a lot of synergies there and a lot of things that we'll interface with TIPQC with and, and support those efforts as well. Very true. I love the Optimal Core Clamping Project for just the reasons that you mentioned, having that partnership with the neonatologists and the pediatricians, as well as, in a sense, unifying the state, because we are very varied state from end to end. So I do see this being a springboard, like you mentioned, and also seeing that preliminary data coming out showing success, which is always motivating across the board. Yeah, another thing I think that we're very interested in and and doing a lot of work in is preserving access to care for pregnant women across Tennessee. So I know that you're aware that the recent March of Dimes report at the end of the year showed that Tennessee was one of the states, as most of them were, that had an increase in so-called maternity deserts. And so working to make sure that 
our smaller delivering hospitals, like the one I work at, where I'm in a, a rural area, but making sure that these hospitals stay open or, or keep their birthing units open, I think is essential for women across Tennessee. And there's a lot of elements, obviously, that go into that, that relates to the stability of rural hospitals in general and the economics behind that. It's a, it's a very multifaceted thing. But this is something that is an increasing problem and something that we need to advocate for. We are seeing through some of our maternal mortality data and things like that that you know women who, who have to drive a long way to get access to obstetric care, uh, they, they don't do as well. And even when they go to the emergency rooms where there's not an OBGYN on call because there's no OBGYN services or no OBGYN in that county, sometimes our postpartum women go and their postpartum cardiomyopathy is overlooked by somebody who just doesn't have the specialty training that an OBGYN does. So we need to reverse this trend in maternity deserts in the state of Tennessee. And, and again, a ton of factors that go into that. But it certainly is the goal of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists to provide more access to care to women in Tennessee, not less. So that's something else that we're passionate about. Now, how to make all that happen, of course, is complex and a lot of economic and legislative issues in play with that and a lot of things that affect healthcare and hospital systems, large and small. And you mentioned rural areas as a big focus of deserts, healthcare deserts. Are you seeing the same trends in the bigger cities, in the more metropolitan areas? Well, that's, yeah, that's a wonderful question. And, and of course, you know that it's true that larger cities are also losing access due to consolidation of birthing uh, centers. Hospitals are, you know, there's a, there's a slightly larger city here locally that used to have two hospitals that that delivered babies. Now they have one. That's happening all across the state as well. And you know, just because a hospital exists, if you have to wait, you know, seven or eight hours in an ER to be seen because there's not appropriate levels of, you know, uh, to support the volume. Uh, yes, maternity deserts are not just about r- rural areas. But of course, in Tennessee, the majority of counties in Tennessee don't have access to an OBGYN in any format. And as hospitals that deliver babies close, those number of counties go up. So, it again, it's the same problems, I think, economic issues facing our hospital systems and reimbursement and things like that, and some other regulatory issues, and frankly, Dobbs, are all things that play into this issue. But every time a birthing center closes or every time a birthing center is asked to take on more volume because another hospital across town closed, you're going to see gaps in care, I think. Can you speak to some specific plans that you have around this initiative? I know everyone's interested. I don't know that we have specific plans. I mean, I think that there's a lot of concern. So, you know, we've, we've seen the CARES Act expire. Uh, we've, we, at the same time, with, in, again, post-Dobbs world, we're seeing a lack of Title X funding and some access to care issues there. So I, I think the first step is to sort of assessing what the loss of Title X funding across the state will mean for particularly underprivileged and poor women of color accessing birth control and other necessary preventative health care. We previously had made, in that issue, we previously made really great strides in Tennessee about access to long-acting reversible contraceptives and just basic health care for women. But Title X has definitely been a major part of that. And, and so TenCare, the state of Tennessee, and we'll, you know, we'll have to step up to fill in those gaps created by Title X, or that is a eternity desert 
per se, but access is access when patients lose access to essential preventative health care and contraception. And as the CARES Act has expired and, and some of the other federal legislation that kept women enrolled on Medicaid in Tennessee, and now we're starting, I guess just this month, starting to see the state of Tennessee de-enroll women whose enrollment had been preserved by the CARES Act and other federal legislation, then that is going to be an issue too, where it may not affect a woman who's already pregnant as much. But I know that you know how important it is for many of our higher risk pregnancies and the most vulnerable to have optimal health care before becoming pregnant. And so a lot of those women are going to lose access to that because of these changes. And so I don't even know if we know how, how, how important these changes are going to be just yet. But in terms of uh, specific issues, as we see women finding themselves with no insurance coverage soon in Tennessee due to these changes uh, that have been preserved during the pandemic, then obviously specific things that we can do is, is work with the state legislature, work with the Tincare Bureau to try to shore up as many of those losses as possible and preserve access to uh, health care for these patients who are most in need of it. Healthcare providers in Tennessee need to emphasize to legislators and others how important preventative care is, how important preconceptual care is. We've obviously had a great uh, achievement here in, in getting one-year postpartum coverage. We'll need to preserve that, of course, in the future. But just as important is the preconceptual coverage for women who are at greatest risk, too. So another thing that we're very interested in is continuing to, you know, even redouble efforts in terms of immediate postpartum long-acting reversible contraceptives in our hospitals. Now, this is something, of course, that TIPQC worked on a few years ago with great success. A lot of hospitals, a lot of funding issues had to be worked on. The TenCare folks helped us with that to make sure that these devices could be paid for and that physicians would be reimbursed for utilizing them in the immediate postpartum period. And we've learned a lot about postpartum contraception and the benefits and utility. And But still, there are a few barriers. And, and even where there aren't barriers, there's probably a, a, still a lot of education to be done. We certainly don't see the kind of uptake in long-acting reversible contraceptives in our hospitals across the state uh, immediate postpartum, I mean to say, that we would have hoped to have seen a few years ago when we when working with this with TIPQC. So that's something, too, that, that uh, our leadership believes needs to be emphasized and reinvigorated. That's a problem, of course, with all these quality projects that we do, and something we've talked about a lot recently with optimal cord clamping is how do we keep the foot to the gas pedal and make these things institutionalized and normalized and not just something that we do intensively for a year or two while everybody's watching. And, and so that's something that we're interested in working on and, 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 and getting our birthing hospitals motivated to continue to expand, not contract. Well, you've talked about initiatives. Are there any other initiatives that you would like to mention? Of course, as I mentioned earlier, we are very concerned about our ability to recruit and retain physicians across the state in, in this sort of post-Dobbs landscape. And not just OBGYNs, by the way, but a lot of a lot of providers, a lot of young female physicians out of residency who are troubled by this change in our state law. 
but also just from a very practical level, neonatologists and folks who don't want to practice in a, in a setting where they feel so restrained and not able to provide ethical and compassionate health care that they could in another state. So we have seen, and it's well documented, we're seeing OBGYNs, maternal fetal medicine specialists, others leave the state. Some retire early, some limit their practice. And, and, and of course, we don't know the full impact yet, but many more choose not to move to the state after residency or you know at other points in their career due to the restrictions that have been placed on abortion after the Dobbs decision. And of course, as I said, the changes that we've made are just not enough really to allay the concerns of people who are actually practicing health, you know, OBGYN, particularly high-risk OBGYN and neonatology in Tennessee. So the last year tirelessly to try to influence the state legislature to make favorable changes. But we're certainly very much interested in looking for continued work there and we'll, we'll look to further collaboration with the Tennessee Medical Association, partnering with them and, and other parts of the sort of coalition across the state and the hospital. I think the law as it's newly written still leaves a lot of us in doubt about what do we do with a patient who's 19 weeks pregnant and has premature rupture of membranes. And I think if you got five different lawyers in a room to discuss what the legislation means in that regard, you might get, you know, seven different opinions. And so that doesn't ver- that doesn't make people feel very reassured and you know in terms of practicing safe and effective healthcare when they're looking over their shoulder constantly so we we have a lot of work still to do in that and i don't know we don't have specific ideas but we definitely this is a vulnerable time for our colleagues across the state and who are exacerbated by some of this on top of being burned out o- about covid and everything else over the last few years so Certainly, we'll be thinking about initiatives to help recruit and maintain physicians and our colleagues in the state of Tennessee and and continuing to work on the restrictive laws that Tennessee still has around providing necessary health care to our patients. So as I said earlier, that's been a big emphasis over the last year or more, and we're not satisfied with where we're at by any means whatsoever. And so um, until physicians can practice their specialty without living in a cloud with their hands tied behind their back by uh, the state legislature, then we'll continue to work to clarify and improve our legal standing in that regard. Because, And I can also see how this specific initiative, if not successful, could affect your other initiatives. If you don't have practicing physicians specifically in the state, that impacts the ability to care in all areas. Yeah, and it definitely impacts things like the problem we'd already discussed in terms of maternity deserts, both in a bigger city and in rural areas. If we're staffing down because physicians are choosing not to work here, then you'll see units close or be understaffed and have poor coverage, lack of subspecialists to provide high-risk care or neonatal services, things like that. So it is potentially a major domino effect. I think we also, of course, we many of us work closely with the Maternal Mortality Review Committee, and, and we see lots of opportunities to continue working on specific areas. We are learning about uh, on a section, which is our state and district level, which is a larger group of states in ACOG. We're learning a lot from our specific state level data about why women are dying and where opportunities are, and uh, including uh, the disparity between white and black birthing mothers. So I, I know on a district level, our committee is working on cardiomyopathy and heart-related 
uh, causes of maternal death that's directly informed by the data we're collecting. And that's, as you know, a great disparity between black and, and white birthing women. And we have an opportunity to, to, to make enhancements there. So uh, we look forward, we review the MMRC data and look for opportunities for initiatives. And ACOG certainly on a district and, and national level is supporting lots of initiatives to take the, what we've learned from our MMRC committees and turn it into actual actionable goals to help reduce maternal mortality in our various states and, and districts. One of the things that we have a lot of work to do for our members is reminding them that ACOG now recommends a one to two week postpartum visit is, and not just a traditional six week visit. And TenCare has worked to help us you know, get that funded. It's not much, but they'll pay you a little bit more for that. And in a time where we've got one year postpartum Medicaid extension and reimbursement for that second visit, these things all tie together. So if we can get women back at one to two weeks and, and make that something also that our members do routinely, then there's a lot of opportunities there. We are Recent studies have shown that as many as 13% of women who didn't have hypertension at any part during their pregnancy or delivery will have hypertension, treatable hypertension in many cases in that one to two week postpartum period. That's where we're going to start to hopefully identify in our offices rather than in ERs, patients that are at risk for cardiomyopathy and other things like that. But also just promotion of breastfeeding. You know, a week or two postpartum is when women quit breastfeeding due to difficulties. Uh, helping support mood. So many women obviously have blues a week or two later and they need they need those support as well. The year-long extension of, uh, of TenCare and the ability to take care of these patients later, we're not capitalizing on fully. There's lots of things there. Think uh, patients that we identify now with routine hepatitis C screening as having hepatitis C, that year postpartum coverage gives us the opportunity to get them, in many cases, cured of their disease that just didn't exist before if they were de-enrolled off of TenCare. So those are all things that we're they're interested in promoting among our members. The expansion in dental care. The dental care problem has been there just aren't aren't a lot of dentists who are <laughs> who are signing on uh, to take ten care for that, but they're but they are out there, and so many of these patients uh, need dental work, and having that ability to do that during and for a year after delivery is a tremendous benefit, and it's a change. So a lot of our members, of course, are just not aware that that's even an opportunity, or they haven't built those relationships with local dental care providers and things like that to take care of these patients because they've, they've not been able to do so before. So lots of opportunities there. The year postpartum extension has the ability to impact maternal mortality in many other ways that are just ready for us to do. So think postpartum depression and continuing mental health problems that contribute to suicide in the postpartum, one year postpartum period, or the opioid use disorders and other substance abuse disorder patients who can get take advantage of that year to get treatment and get stabilized. Uh, a lot of our maternal deaths are related to mental health problems and suicide and substance abuse, uh, et cetera. Right now, we're seeing an uptake in congenital syphilis across the state, which is really just hard to think about that we've we that this is even happening, and and probably lots of reasons for that, including resistance patterns, including not necessarily doing the due diligence of screening in the third trimester that a lot of patients uh, need based upon risk factors or maybe universally since this is happening now across the state. But that's something that the Tennessee Department of Health, of course, is concerned about and will be supporting their efforts to encourage our members 
to be more diligent about that. That's just really something that shouldn't happen and is a almost entirely preventable occurrence. And sad to say, though, that it's on the increase. And in the same way, you know, the COVID vaccine is is something that we definitely want to promote in terms of diligence around there. As you know, the leading cause of death for pregnant women in, in 2021 and 2022 was COVID. <laughs> and that was almost in the, at least in the presence of the vaccine, a completely preventable maternal mortality when, when those patients died. Some of them obviously died before the vaccine was available and, you know, arguably before we knew about the safety of the vaccine in pregnancy and etc. But but then we learned those things and we learned that women should get it. And now as COVID seems to just sort of be on the back burner and everybody's excited to move beyond, we're seeing the vaccination rates and the booster rates in particular drop significantly. And so we need to be, again, speaking of you know diligence, we need to be as diligent about this as a flu shot or or Rogam for that matter. This is a life-saving intervention for pregnant women and and we just tend to forget about it. So ACOG has a lot of information and programs to help uh, continue promoting diligence around COVID vaccination. At this point, it's, it's probably the most studied intervention in pregnancy. And, and a lot of our patients don't realize that. They, they still think of it as something that's relatively new. But we've had so much data come out about the safety of COVID vaccine and the implications of COVID on pregnancy. Uh, and, and again, if we're talking about maternal mortality, at least in the last couple of years, it has been the leading cause of maternal death. So we certainly are encouraging diligence of our members around that area as well. If other providers, patients, support persons wanted to get involved in the initiatives, is there opportunity and how would they go about doing that? So one of the things that we've worked hard on in in the last uh, little bit, especially around um, the post dobs world, is trying to build out a bigger sort of advisory council of ACOG across the state. So we definitely welcome anyone interested in quarterly advisory council meetings or participating in us, participating with us. We would love to see a strong coalition of ACOG members at every training program, every major hospital across the state. And uh, so certainly they can contact me or any, any of the other state officers if they're interested in service on the advisory council. The commitment is a, you know, a phone call once a quarter. The biggest synergies that we have are with TIPQC in terms of some of these quality improvement projects. And so we certainly encourage all of our members to participate with the quality improvement projects. It'd be wonderful to see every birthing hospital in Tennessee enrolled in every single project TIPQC does. But of course, we're not there yet. I do think the optimal cord clamping then uh, initiative set the record though. So hopefully we're getting there in terms of getting more participation. And, um, and then I would encourage folks also to be active in the Tennessee Medical Association. A lot of what we've discussed today is around legislative issues, around financing issues, and things like that. The Tennessee Medical Association is the largest and most important sort of voice in Nashville in terms of representing organized medicine. And I was excited to see at the last TMA House of Delegates meeting just uh, earlier this month I think probably a record turnout for OBGYNs in terms of participation and a lot of success, I think, in terms of defining TMA policy around some of these issues and what TMA also will advocate for in Nashville over the coming year. So a lot of work to be done and a lot of opportunities for people to participate, whether it's at your local hospital with the promotion of the vaginal delivery project or 
some of these other issues or at your own office about making sure that you've got COVID vaccine diligence and that you're working patients in for that extra visit, that one to two week postpartum visit. That visit, by the way, can be telehealth. And so that's some of the issues too that we've worked on so that the funding is appropriate for that. Uh, I don't know that telehealth is right for every patient. It is for a lot of them. But I would remind folks too that one of the goals of that is to check their blood pressure. But you know, remote blood pressure monitoring is something that is available to a lot of patients now or can be available. I'd also remind them that if you're screening for intimate partner violence, that their abuser might be sitting in the room while they're doing the telehealth visit. So some patients, I think, benefit from coming in in person. But for others, a telehealth visit may be appropriate. So everybody can work on these projects. Every individual OBGYN in the state of Tennessee can work on these projects, referring your hepatitis C patients for treatment, making sure the dental care gets taken care of, talking to your legislators about the problems with the current law and funding issues and things like that. That's the way to get involved. And, and if you have ideas or uh, you know specific initiatives, think, things that we've talked about you'd like to work on, then certainly contacting me or anybody involved with ACOG uh, is appropriate. Now, of all the things you've mentioned with all the initiatives, is there anyone or any organization that you're super excited about working with as these initiatives continue to roll out and grow? Again, there's there's different layers of this, but in terms of getting sustainable quality improvements done, at least in our hospitals, TIPQC is the voice of that or the mechanism for that in the state of Tennessee. So uh, th- we just have to do that. It's harder, I think, for people's individual practices. If you're in your individual practice and you know you're not doing one to two week postpartum visits and you're not doing some of these things we mentioned, that's just up to you. It's just if you're in, you know, if you're wa- wanting to provide the highest quality care available, then these are initiatives that you can fix in your own office. They sometimes have hurdles. And so if people are having problems implementing some of these issues, certainly reach out to those of us that are, that are working on these things for solving problems that, that uh, we've, you know, may, maybe have already solved on our own systems, our own hospitals, our own individual practices. And like I said, for legislative issues and and that that those aspects of it, it definitely is the Tennessee Medical Association. The members of ACOG need to be members of both organizations so that they have a voice in in both societies, particularly now more than ever in terms of making sure that funding is there to you know to uh, fund healthcare for women and making sure that the laws don't prevent us from doing that. Very true. Very true. So that's exciting. I wanted to go back a minute when you mentioned telehealth. With all the initiatives that you've discussed today, are there any other thoughts of using technology or creative ways to make sure patients have access to care, that there is fair care for all patients, that everything is evidence-based and up-to-date? Well, there's a lot of energy around telehealth, particularly for access to subspecialty care that's not available. Um, I don't have a maternal fetal medicine doctor in my town, but there's no reason why in a technological age like this, you couldn't provide care to that patient, even if you're across the state. So clearly this is a large part of what we're going to do in the future, both for our individual care. There's a lot of things that we see patients for that don't require a test or a physical exam that could be done by telehealth. And and a lot of gaps that we could fill, you think about uh, mental health, depression, follow-up visits, things like that. A lot of patients who are most vulnerable don't have the ability to come to a doctor's office or 
uh, take the time off from work or have the ability to travel or things like that. And so telehealth is a, is ripe with opportunities to improve access to care and improve access to subspecialty care as needed. So it's a very exciting thing. There is still a lot of uncertainty, I think, about payment issues and, and some of the things that we've been able to expand during the pandemic will go away without legislative and payer fixes. So again, the expiration of the CARES Act and, and some of the things that the federal government did and, and the state of Tennessee did around opening up telehealth for a lot of different services, some of that's at threat of going away. So again, something to be diligent about to make sure that the gains that we've made aren't lost. Well, as we wrap the podcast up, I know we could discuss things all day, but we don't want to take any more of your valuable time. Are there any resources that we as providers or patients should know about regarding the initiatives you discussed or anything else that ACOG Tennessee section may be in the works and doing? Of course, ACOG itself, if you're a member of ACOG and you go to the website, every single thing that I've discussed is there uh, in one form or the other. There's uh, wonderful resources available to educate your patients and yourself about uh, COVID vaccination. Folks can email me or just go to the ACOG website and look for those things. The one to two week postpartum, there's a recent technical bulletin that sort of redefines what the postpartum visit should be and encourages that. So all those things are, everything we've discussed is an initiative directly from from ACOG. And as far as the legislative issues, again, if you're interested in those, join our ACOG advisory panel. Well, again, thank you so much, Dr. Harrell, for joining us today for today's podcast. And I want to thank our listeners again for listening. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. TIPQC will continue to feature additional podcasts with our state healthcare leaders, as we are so excited to be in partnership with Dr. Harrell and the ACOG Tennessee section, as well as other leaders across the state. We will have resources listed in today's show note. Thank you for joining us again and join us next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TIPQC. TIPQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.